Hello, my name is Anna and I'm an alcoholic. So I only have 10 minutes, but I'm going to share some of my experience and then go into how this program has helped me uh, as gracefully as possible. <laughs> so, um, to qualify, I, you know, I came from a young set of parents. We were very poor. Um, my mom is one of us, I believe. And, um, my dad has other afflictions. However, I don't believe that any of that has to do with who I am or how I turned into an alcoholic. Um, you know, the book tells me that there are these things that I can suffer from before I'm sober or while I'm sober. And they are the bedevilments and the four horsemen. So the four horsemen are terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. And the bedevilments are trouble with personal relationships, inability to control emotions, prey to misery and depression, inability to earn a living, feeling useless, feeling filled with fear, feeling unhappy, or being unable to help anyone else. And I can safely say that I experienced all of those things as a child. And I chose to try to solve that by eating. Um, you know, just generally I was discontent. And by the time that I was in middle school, I found alcohol and I was a blackout drinker from the first time that I drank and I progressed into drug use later in life. Um, not that much later in life, pretty quickly, actually, you know, and Unfortunately, another thing that the book tells us is that there is a mental blank spot where we eventually lose the power of choice in taking a drink, you know, and it also tells us that once we have a drink in our body, we have a physical allergy, which develops as a craving for more. Um, and then finally, it tells us that we have a spiritual malady. And I would say that the spiritual malady is described as the bedevilments that I just read. So, you know, for me, while I had a solution in food and alcohol and men um, and whatever else it was, that didn't work. And I ended up in AA kind of on accident because um, I was going with a friend who had a court card and we had gone to a couple of different meetings, a boy. And this woman came up to me and she's like, hi, so good to see you. Like, here's a book. And um. I said, well, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm just here to support someone. And she's like, okay, well just like take a book and call me if you ever need to. And I'm like, all right, whatever. This girl's weird. Like, I don't know who she is. And a few weeks later I got a DUI and I was still in high school, I believe maybe just fresh out of high school. And I called her, mind you, I had already been to treatment for substance abuse previously, but I thought, well, I just had like a drug problem. I didn't have a drinking problem. And so now this is like alcohol rearing its ugly head. And so I did call her and she, I met up with her and she sat me down and she said, you have a life problem. You don't have an alcohol problem. You have a life problem that you're choosing to solve with alcohol and you're powerless and you're going to gain access to power, which will enable you to stop drinking through working these steps. And, you know, she was very frank with me. She said, this is a program about God and that's the power that you're going to plug into. 
by clearing the debris that's in between you and him. I didn't know about God. I didn't really care if she said, you have to go lick the sidewalk every day. Like I was just desperate. Like I couldn't stop and I would do anything she told me. Like I was ready. I was there. Um, so we worked the steps, you know, and I ended up getting sober before I was even 21. And I would get like, I got five years and thought it's just a phase. I was young. Um, I was crazy, you know, and I went out for a year and then got another five years. And that's been my pattern right now. I'm coming up on a year because I had tasted someone to drink on vacation. And I knew that even though I didn't get drunk, hiding that taste or that sip was only going to set me up for failure in the future. And, you know, I had a friend of mine tell me when he came into the program, his sponsor said, do you have a nice suit? And he's like, why I'm not like good enough. Like I don't look fancy enough for you. And he said, no, you're going to need to invest in a nice suit because you're going to see a lot of people die while you're here. And, um, and that's true. And he said, you'll see a lot of miracles and you'll see a lot of death. And both of those have been true for my experience in this program. Um, you know, the sad thing is because the book tells us where lack of power is our dilemma. We have a peculiar mental blank spot. Frothy emotional appeal is not good enough to keep us sober. Um, it gives us all of the list. You know, when you start to read the book, it says, well, if only he would do it for her, or only she would do it for him, like your partner, your family, or um, maybe you need to be locked away. Maybe you just need to try drinking beer or just drink on the weekends or all of the different ways that we try to manage and control it. Um, don't work. So the good news is that your higher power can get you sober. The, I mean, I wouldn't say not so good news, but there's news after that, which is your higher power doesn't keep you sober. Because if that was true, then I heard a speaker tape, you know, that said the book you would just open and it would say, God keeps you sober. And it would be one page and that would be it. And that's not true. What's true is that we get to stay sober. Uh, our sobriety is contingent on a daily spiritual maintenance, which also outlines in the book for us, which is spending time with our higher power in the morning and asking for direction, taking an inventory of our behavior at nighttime, setting right any wrongs that we're aware of, and working with other alcoholics. And it's a lifelong process you know, and the road is not always straight. Sometimes it goes left and right and you walk it with some people and then you switch and walk it with other people. And, um, it looks different for everybody. And I am grateful that I'm a retread because I would never want somebody who's a retread to feel like this just doesn't work for me because that's not true. It does work. And you just keep coming back. You keep doing what the book says and it gives you a beautiful life, you know? And I, um, I, I can speak for myself, but I'm sure that other people too struggle with some of these four horsemen and bedevilments in sobriety. And the only thing I have to say about that is I learned 
in this last few months not to beat myself up because I was told from a father of small children, you know, he said, do you think that when I see my kids take their first steps or, or start to walk or start to do something new that I think, wow, my kid is so stupid. He didn't get up and start running. And he's like, I'm just a human father. And I can't imagine how God sees us when we start to grow, you know? So stick around. I hope that you got something out of my share. I have like a minute and 20 seconds left. So I'll just close with a few things. Um, you know, I cry every day because I am astonished and grateful that I'm here. Um, if you get to hear me speak at another meeting, I have been through the trenches, um, sober and using, and it's a miracle that I'm alive. And I only have God to thank for that and, and my relationship with God and my connection with God. Um, and the rooms of alcoholics anonymous, you know, it's, there are many parts to it, but for me, it, it started with getting to know God and knowing I am so watched over and so loved and so cared for. And, uh, the people in these rooms are the ones who, who showed me that, you know, they said like, you have a father, a provider, a protector. Um, so yeah, that's all I've got. Thank you. My name is Phil and I am alcoholic and Anna, that was awesome. You nailed it. You, you hit it out of the park. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That sounded like a seasoned veteran to me. I like to piggyback a little bit if I can remember. I cry too. I know I, I try to act like a big tough guy sometimes, but that's, that's not it. I look at my tears as um, my higher power working through me to cleanse me, if you will, to, to heal me, if you will, because most of the times that I do cry, I'm not even, it's not even a sad moment. It's like, I'll just all of a sudden, I just start tearing up and it's good to have feelings back because I didn't have them for a long time. I too was a blackout drinker. Um, and I thought you did a wonderful job on the solution to our problems because we need to grow along spiritual lines. And that is well outlined in the book in step 11. And it tells us to continue to watch out for those bedevilments that she was talking about. Um, for me and for the book, I was told by my sponsor that the book was originally written as a sponsor for people that were in remote uh, locations that couldn't get to a physical meeting at that time. So the book was the sponsor. And that's what he told me. So that's a little bit of AA history from a guy that knows a lot about hey, hey history i don't <laughs> so one of the reasons i picked him as a sponsor and another reason is um he hasn't had a fight with his wife in 13 years and they've been married 13 years and i thought that's what exactly what i want 
for my marriage. Um, I have 22 years with the same woman in marriage and I hope to get 23. But if I don't do this program daily, I don't think I'll see it. Matter of fact, I like what Anna had to say about her experience because my experience is also with relapsing. Matter of fact, I was a blackout drinker too. And right, Anna, we just, that's, that's how it goes. It's just, whoosh, <laughs> I have zero control. But be patient with me, if you will. I've had the thought that could those possibly be relapses, multiple relapses over and over again in one single night? Okay, I'm only going to have two drinks, then three come, then four. I'm only going to have five drinks. Could I be relapsing right there moment after moment in my own mind? Because I cannot control my drinking. I never could. I never had one drink. I started when I was 13. Blackout. Don't even remember. Making out with some girl that I don't even... I probably wouldn't do it in a normal state. But what the book tells me is that I'm abnormal, especially when it comes to alcohol. And I never fit in. I never fit in in school until the solution came with alcohol. That was my solution. That was my solution. You know what I mean, Laura? That was my solution. I could fit in now. I could be, I could be one of the cool kids. <laughs> All I needed was alcohol until I couldn't be cool anymore. And my drinking led me to incarceration. I went to the penitentiary in the state of Pennsylvania for a three and a half to seven year sentence. And I was also a very violent drunk. And I hope that doesn't bother anybody, but that's my story. And I would be amiss if I left that out. Um, my father was violent toward my mother. And I saw that as a young boy and I would try to protect my mother and it would get ugly. And that was okay though, because my father would then snap out of it, so to speak. He had Alzheimer's, he had Parkinson's. Um, really wasn't his fault. And I've, I've forgiven my father because of this program, because of these principles that I try to practice on a daily basis. And I'm not always successful. Um, just in the last couple of weeks, I've, forget, I've forgotten to do my nightly inventory in my step 11 only to do it late morning or early morning. And I'm headed for trouble. It's, it's dangerous for me to do those things. So I like, I don't like to use cliches a lot. I like to use my own words. And I'm going to ask God to speak through me now. I've asked him before, but I'm going to ask my higher power to speak through me, that his words would come out of my mouth, not mine, that his will would be done in this meeting. And and again, Anna, fantastic job. Fantastic job. Um, whew, good Lord. Yeah, um, I'm going to jump around. My friends in school, one of my friends in particular, knew me a long time since first grade. He said to me recently, yeah, Phil, I thought you would be dead by now the way you were drinking. And initially out of 
when he was in the service and I was just out there drinking in our early 20s, we drank a lot. I mean, we drank to the point where he got violent with my girlfriend and grabbed her by the hair. And um, I reacted the way I did, and it wasn't pretty. But my point is, like I heard before, the spiritual malady. I suffer from that. I'm disconnected from the power that can straighten me out. The book tells me that all my problems can be solved through spiritual principles. And that has been my experience. When I don't hide things from my wife, things go a lot better. When I do the dishes every day, things go a lot better. <laughs> when I go shopping every day, if need be, things go a lot better. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Denise? They just go a lot better. They just go a lot better for me. Um, so it's practicing those principles in all my affairs, being honest at work, putting in an honest day's work, not taking things that do not belong to me, whether that's a pen, a pair of gloves, whatever the case may be. Um, the reading was fantastic because in the beginning, I did not want to admit, I did not want to admit that I was alcoholic. I did not want to say that. To get out of the penitentiary, I agreed to do a 90 and 90. I did not want to do a 90 and 90, but I agreed to it because I was willing to go to any length to get out of the pen <laughs> and not come back, <laughs> if you will. And <laughs> I can see a couple of understanding nods. I thank you for that. Yeah, I didn't. It, it it it's not even a nice place to visit, and you don't want to be there. At least I didn't want to be. But uh, I can laugh about it now. I was crying about it then because I would, if I had a pillow, I would put my pillow over my eyes and I would cry so the other guys wouldn't see me because you, you got to keep. I I have to keep that macho guy thing up. But um, yeah, this disease kills. As a matter of fact, the book tells me that selfishness will kill me. And I just had a sponsee that kind of laughed off my comments about alcoholism being a killer. It will kill us. And he's no longer working with me because he went back out again. And I still send him um, a daily devotional or something at 24 hours or um, whatever a literature I get, I'll just copy and paste it to him. But he didn't take it seriously. I had a sponsee. Um, I don't know if you can identify with this, Anna, because you were talking about getting a suit and seeing miracles and seeing death too. So I had a sponsee who refused to do a step 12 and work with others after he had done 11 steps pretty well. And he got the kids back. He got the job back. He got um, the girlfriend back. But the next thing I knew after a few months of him being kind of MIA, he called me drunk 
he called me up. He was drunk and he was cursing me out and telling me it was all my fault, which I didn't take personally because I had expected something like that to come through. And it wasn't long after that, that his girlfriend texted me and said, thank you for working with Phil. His name was Phil too. And he was a, a, a Catholic too, as I was at one point. And um, some of us like to say recovering Catholic, but he, it was sad. Um, his girlfriend said they found him near a railroad track with a uh, head contusion and it killed him and he's no longer with us but she got to share some beautiful film clips of him playing guitar that i never knew he did and some other things and that's the reality of it but i'd rather be on the firing line of life like the book tells me than to be on the sidelines for whatever reason god's always gifted me that way to be in the thick of things when i played baseball i wanted to be the catcher i didn't want to be sitting around in the outfield when I played football, I wanted to be center or nose tackle because I didn't want to be in the backfield waiting or not getting the ball or whatever. So I want to be where the action is. That's that's kind of how I'm wired by the almighty, I think. But um, I like what Anna also had to say about uncluttering the blockage. I'm putting in my own words, I'm paraphrasing. Removing that blockage, right, Anna? Removing that blockage to make that connection with the higher power. So it's basically clean house, trust God and help others. And that's a simple way of putting it. Um, I like to use the term that I've heard in the rooms. I wake up each morning with untreated alcoholism. So before I even get out of bed, I ask God to direct my thinking to divorce it from self-pity. Now, I don't even know that I have self-pity. Like somebody else has to point it out. And I thank God that I have a sponsor that's willing to call me on my bull crap. And it's amazing because when he does it, I don't take it personal. And I'm usually a pretty sensitive person, especially in early recovery. Um, I have 13 years now. Like he would say, I don't know how to get 14. Um, and it's only by the grace of God, it's a miracle. I, um, I just try to practice spiritual principles. But I also like to rest on my laurels. And it warns us in between step 10 and 11 in our book that if we rest on our laurels, we're headed for trouble. So after 14 years of not drinking, I went back out again for two years. Put my wife through living hell. It's a miracle I'm still married to her. Guys like me don't end up like that. We usually end up dead or divorced or in prison. It's a miracle I didn't go back to prison. But I'd like to jump back if I can. And I'd like to explain or I'd like to share my personal experience with my higher power in the penitentiary because he, be, he became real to me there for the first time ever. Now I grew up Catholic, but I didn't know, I didn't have a personal relationship, even though I did enjoy going to confession. There was, there was a, there was a sort of, sort of a spiritual experience, if you will, afterwards, 
but I went back to the, and did the same old stuff again. So it was quickly the 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 blockage was was right back. I didn't know how to remove the blockage on the fly, let's say. Where I, that's what I do now. You know, if I get if I lose that peace that I have, I'll ask God to remove whatever it is, a resentment, something that ticked me off, whatever it is, a past resentment that pops up in my mind. I'll ask for forgiveness and then I'll turn to see who I can help. Is it a sponsee? Is it somebody in a meeting? You know what I mean, Laura? This is a great meeting, by the way. I'm going to help try to support this meeting. And another thing, Zoom has been fantastic. I've had more sponsees, strong sponsorship. The solution, like Anna was talking about before, it's just, it's amazing. Because in the face-to-face meetings around here in my early sobriety, 13 years ago, I heard all kinds of nonsense from people that probably weren't alcoholic. And I'd like to point to the doctor's opinion. He made it clear to me 13 years ago when my sponsor first took me through the steps that there's a difference between a chronic alcoholic and someone with acute alcoholism, a problem drinker, if you will. I have acute alcoholism. I cannot stop. I don't have the power to stop. I need to connect with that higher power like Anna was talking about and remove the blockage and then keep it removed by continuing to do the steps that unblock it. Ask him to remove the resentments. Ask him to remove the fears. Discussing it with someone else immediately if it's something new that I haven't discussed with anybody before. So that's what it is for me. Um, back to that third step experience in the penitentiary. I got to a point in my sentence where I had done a full year. I was still running the show, but it was coming to an end. In other words, what I mean is the end of myself, the end of self running the show which it tells us in step 11 to continually ask God throughout the day to be free of self-will and for him to run the show and not us. And that his will be done and not ours. And if we continually do that throughout the day, we get a bunch of great promises. We're in less danger of fear, worry, and resentments. Now, the... uh, The story in the penitentiary, I'm locked up a full year. I get to, the reason I say penitentiary is the word repentance. It was was high time that I came to terms with all my mistakes. And that's what this time did. But it took me a full year to really come to a point of surrender, to really come to my spiritual needs, if you will if not my physical needs. A bunch of things came up in my life all of a sudden. I was looking forward to getting out in three years, good behavior, first time guy, you know, lock up, medium security prison, the guards ran it. So there was an unwritten rule. 
three years, you get a halfway house and you get the heck out of here and you go home. So that's what I was counting on. Until a couple of guys on state parole, the one killed the state trooper, the other one killed a girl and then raped or vice versa. The point is that shut the whole system down. Now that glimmer of hope I had was fading away quickly. February, February 13th, 1996 was the day. This all came crashing down. Girlfriend had dumped me, which is common with inmates. Um, what else? I was losing weight. I hadn't eaten in three, four days. Um, lost about 20. Well, I can sure lose. I can sure stand at least 20, 30 pounds. <laughs> um, but I needed to hit that rock bottom. For me, I needed, I needed that absolute rock bottom. And these were the circumstances that brought me there. Not only am I not looking at getting out early, because the whole system shut down with these two guys on parole doing what they did. Nobody was going home. I don't care if it was first time DUI or uh, DUI homicide or whatever the case, first time drug offender like me, nonviolent, even though I was hiding the violence. And what I learned was, and what I was convinced of that my violence was gonna come out and I was going to hit a guard, and that was going to give me another 13 years on top of the three and a half to seven that I had already. And I couldn't do the three and a half to seven as it was. So I couldn't do another 13 on top of it. And then either hit another inmate, end up dead, end up there for a longer period of time. I was convinced this was going to end bad for me. So for the first time in my life, I made an honest prayer from the bottom of my heart to God. And this is what I said to him. This is what I thought in my mind. God, take me and do what you want with me. I give up on my self. And immediately I felt a peace that I, I never understood before. I had a calmness. My mind, my thinking changed to when the heck am I going to get out of here? My hair is falling out of my head. I'm 20 pounds lighter. I'm not eating. To, well, God, I guess when you're ready for us to leave, that's when we'll leave. And that's how much my thinking changed. And that ex-girlfriend, I was on the phone with her two weeks later, and I wanted to curse at her, and, the, and nothing came out of my mouth. That was my higher power, because I had started practicing the principles from that very first day. I got a daily bread, read it, started doing the principles in that. I got the guideline from the 12 steps, just the guideline, like we read in the, in the meetings. And I started doing it to the best of my ability. I wrote my fourth step to a friend of mine who was a preacher coming in to see me from time to time with his father, who was my football coach in Nehut. And when it came to my ninth step, I wrote it all out, send all letters out to the people I had harmed. I wrote a lot of letters. I went through pencils, I went through pens, 
I bought stationery because they only gave me 10 envelopes and 10 pieces of paper a month with 10 stamps. I was making 36 cents an hour, I think. And um, I was happy to do it because I felt it kept that flow going. It kept that peace going. It kept that connection going with my higher power. Now, I don't recommend that. That's not our program. But I didn't know any better. And all I was doing was trying to, trying to do the right thing. You know what I mean, Denise? I was just trying to get my ass out of the sling. <laughs> I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home. I just wanted to go home. But with that piece, I got a hold of a little, a little pocket Bible. And I started reading that. And I read Proverbs, just little snippets on what to do right and what to do and what, what is wrong, lying. God doesn't like a lying tongue. So it gave me an opportunity to practice rigorous honesty from that point. And I'm not always perfect at it, but that's the goal, rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty. and. A quick note from my wife recently, she's seen an improvement in me. And my wife does not throw around compliments easily. You gotta earn them. Believe me, you gotta earn them. I gotta get her on here one day. Can I bring her next time, Laura? Can she can she share with me next time? It's an open meeting. Anybody can attend. Oh, okay. I'll, 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 I'll ask you to come next time. Anyway, uh, I digress a little bit there. Um, oh, so I definitely had a spiritual experience in that third step prayer before I even knew what a third step prayer was. God became real to me. I kept reading those spiritual literatures and practicing the principles in them, kept practicing the steps. And I was actually asked to mentor one of the inmates. Um, there was an opportunity to take a transfer to another part of the state. So I'd be leaving my cushy visits with my pastor friend and his father, who was my coach and their mother. And, um, my friends would come and visit me and then I'd get, you know, they'd buy me treats from the commissary machines. And it was a nice visit. I mean, they, they, they were spending six hours with me and then the travel time. I mean, I was very fortunate that I had great friends. And so I'd be leaving that all behind. Um, my counselor came looking for me because he heard I wanted to transfer. And he said, I'll give you a, the best job here. You work in the community parks and we'll give you a buck an hour and uh, we'll give you a nice set of browns to wear. We had to have collared shirts, these browns and button tie you know it was like a boot camp you know shirts tucked in and shoes shined and you know so i i i uh i turned down the offer i just felt that my higher power was leading me to this let's call it a step of faith to just walk out on that on that thought to take to take the transfer now, mind you, there's an unwritten rule there, too, that you might get out early. But there's no promise. And 
you had to have certain requirements to get on this transfer. Short time, no offenses, uh, outside work privilege, and I had, by the grace of God, been able to get those under my belt, let's say. So I took the transfer, and the blessings I never experienced before in my life. I didn't have to wear headphones for the first time in a year. I didn't have to, I, I, I saw churches, I saw landscapes, beautiful landscapes, instead of razor wire and fence. Things that I had taken, taken for granted before. They were all blessed churches. There was a lot of rural churches. And we get to the penitentiary and there's no fence. There's no fence around this place. I'm thinking this is pretty cool. This is, and we get off the bus and we're all shackled up and we got our jumpsuits and everything. And, and the sergeant comes over and he says, you'll never guess what he says. Welcome gentlemen to Laurel Highlands. Nobody, no guard has talked to me like that in over a year. I can guarantee you that. And it's like, oh, wow. That's not, is he talking to, talking to us? <laughs> yeah, he's talking to us. And it's just that gratitude that was overflowing. And it wasn't long after uh, being on the block. We were actually put in the kitchen to prepare meals and then take them to the part of the penitentiary that was a hospital for geriatric patients that were inmates that were basically on their last leg. And um, that's what we did. We were of service and it was in a beautiful part of the state. And within seven days, within seven days, my counselor came looking for me and he said to me, Phil, come on down to my office. I want to talk to you. I want to see what we can do about getting you home. What? Getting me home? The whole system was still locked down. 40,000 inmates weren't going anywhere because of those two guys I told you about. How about that, Laura, for a spiritual awakening and some miracles happening and some gratitude flying? So I tried to keep it together in his office. Of, yeah, mm -hmm, I'm, uh, it's all business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I got back to my room, I got a room. I don't, I don't have a cell now. I got a room. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm, and I'm buffing floors all over the place because they're nice floors. And I'm, I'm buffing the rooms and the, the floors. In the, anyway, <laughs> it was a pre-release program that just happened to take effect. I just happened to qualify for it. I just happened to have a full week or two preparation once they gave me my date that I was going home to get a job lined up. Most guys, they tell the day of, like, pack your stuff, you're going. I had two days to prepare, two weeks to prepare. I mean, God has been good. God has been good. If I continue to move the blockage that Anna was talking about, to remove that and keep it removed and grow spiritually. There's a lot of, there's a lot of promises in this book. My sponsor said there's over 250 that he knows of so far, because he's still looking. <laughs> he's still looking. He's been looking 30 years. He's still looking. Um, 
I know there's some promises too that if I rest on my laurels, I'm headed for trouble. And I already did that. 14 years out of the prison, I go back out because one, I wasn't practicing the principles that kept me sober for that long of time. And two, I didn't know I was a chronic alcoholic. Nor did I want to admit it. When I first came into the rooms on that 90-90 program coming out of the penitentiary, I loved going to the meetings because the first thing I, you guys did for me was when I raised my hand is that you would say, hi, Phil. Like everybody's saying, hi. I love that. I love that. It's just, it's an awesome way to make me feel part of. And as I've grown in the program, this is the only place I really fit. Normal people and I don't see, don't really connect that well. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. But like, I can, I can tell you about my driver's license. I, I'm looking at it like, oh yeah, here it is. Um, like I can tell you about my driver's license. Okay, this is a Pennsylvania driver's license. Okay, you see that? Now, my license was originally taken from me at 18 years old when I was driving like a maniac and, and, and running away from the cops. I got a lot of stories. If, we, if, if you have a parking lot meeting, I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Um, but so one, one of the miracles was when I got out of the penitentiary was um, some guy, one of the guys in the halfway house um, said, you know, if you go to the state rep's office, uh, they might help you with your license, get your birth certificate, get your social security card. So I go, I get that stuff. And then I ask about the driver's license because my license is suspended to the year 2077 at that time. I'm talking 1997 when I got out. Okay, the spiritual experience happened February 13th, 1996. And I still celebrate that every year on February 13th. Because I'm Mexican and we, we celebrate, we celebrate everything. You know, we go out and get tacos. Whether it's Tuesday or not, we're getting tacos. <laughs> oh, you guys are the best. I'm telling you. Oh, my gosh. Where am I? So we're having tacos. No, we're not having tacos. Okay, we have the miracle. And then we have the other miracle. And then we're home. Oh, they're at the AA meetings. And my 90-90. And after I finished the 99, I just kept going to the meetings. So I just loved the fellowship. But I really wasn't willing to admit to my innermost self that I was alcoholic. I knew that alcohol was my problem. But I didn't want to admit that I was alcoholic. As a matter of fact, I can remember in a couple of those 90-90 meetings when I was literally trying to be disruptive. Like I was mentioning Jesus, but with the intention to see if I could rattle your cage. And you didn't. You just kept being nice to me. So it failed. <laughs> you guys just love up on us no matter where we're at. And that's... That's just the legacy for the AA meetings and program. And what I mean by the program are all 12 steps, all 12 traditions, and all 12 concepts, which I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to the traditions and the concepts, but I'm learning slowly but surely. Like I don't have any secrets with my wife. And 
like my sponsor, I try to ask her to marry me every day. Pretty cool. Pretty cool for a guy that you used to be very, very violent, and very, very sick, and very, very drunk, and in a whole lot of trouble a whole lot of the times. So I get the license back, I get the job back, and I'm pedaling my bicycle to work until I get that license back. So when I first get out, I got the job lined up, I'm pedaling back and forth to work, I'm pedaling to the AA meetings. And two weeks later, I say to myself and I say to my higher power, could you please take me back? Could you please? Take me back to the penitentiary. I don't know where you are. We used to spend six hours together in my room back in the prison. And I'd, re I'd read your word and I'd read your principles and I'd practice them and I'd sit there and look at them and think about them for hours at a time. I'm not doing that now. I'm going to work, I'm going to AA, doing a little bit at night with you, get that connection back. Could you just take me back? Could you just take me back there? Because I'm missing you. I'm just missing you. I don't want to live like this. But then I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll give it a chance. Maybe I'll give this, the rubber meets the road a chance. God, you know what? Keep me here. Keep me here. I'll work it out. I'll try to. I'll try to keep that connection. I'll try to keep cleaning the, my side of the street. Keep trying to connect with you. Ask you what I should do in all these situations. I used to love uh, trusting the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths and make your paths straight. And I would literally ask him what I should do here and what I should do there. Get a sense for a yes or a no. And it was fantastic. And I need to get back to that place. Because I'm not there right now. I would still like to run the show. So. Thank God I've got a sponsor here. Here, in my heart. And here on my phone. Even though I don't know you, I love each and every one of you. God bless you. Take care.